You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. First off, before we get into our main point of yes. the day, which I think is this is going to be a very important podcast, I just want to address some comments we got after our AI podcast. Someone said or a bunch of people said that you, basically to me and to my guest Kevin Serace and to Jay our producer said you're delusional if you think AI won't cost some jobs of course AI is going to cost some jobs that is not what we said in the podcast it's just like when cars were introduced you know in the early 1900s some people who rode horses lost their jobs but eventually there were many, many, many more jobs created in the auto industry than were lost in the, I don't know, horse industry. And did it happen overnight? Probably it did, actually. But who knows? Also, there were jobs lost. You know what jobs were lost? Jay, I bet you don't know this. The, 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 a key job was lost, a key industry. People who oh. shoveled manure in the streets of New York City 
yes. lost their jobs because there used to be like like a foot of manure at the end of every day in New York City because of all the horses crapping on the street, you know, driving Wall Street yeah. bankers around. You know, everybody lived, you know, the suburbs were the Upper West Side in New York City. And most people lived in Tribeca and they worked in downtown, which was basically the Wall Street area. And just that number of people created like a foot of crap of horse manure uh, in New York City every day. All those people lost their jobs. That industry disappeared. But again, the world was be a better place for it. And many more jobs were created and people were able to live outside of New York City and live in nice bigger places with yards in the suburbs because they, it was easier to commute, you know, 20, 30, then 40 miles and, and on and on. The benefits, the benefits of every major innovation has outpaced the disadvantages. We'll talk about the movie Oppenheimer on, on another that occasion. We'll bring on yeah. Brian Keating, our favorite physicist, and talk about that and help him prepare for his upcoming appearance on the Joe Rogan show. But Here's the problem. Here's the real problem. Why are people posting comments? Why, why don't people think? Why don't people have opinions about AI and they don't really think and they, they, don't, they have opinions without really knowing anything about the industry? Listen to that episode. And we even say that the exact same thing I just said. Listen to the episode rather than just making an opinion and posting it on social media. And that's the problem right. we have right now. We're, we're, Many of us, and I count myself in this category often, many of us are just miserable people looking for every day, looking for a scrap of an excuse to just keep on living. And that sounds kind of bleak, but we just sit there like thumbing through social media like, oh, I disagree with that person. I have to comment. I have to comment so that so that people see my comment and 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 think about me and know who I am. Yeah, and they don't even like just hmm? just they don't even like click into it and see it. They probably just see the headline and then just start commenting without reading the whole thing or listening to the whole thing. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I was I might have mentioned this on the podcast with Kevin actually, but I was at this dinner a few weeks ago with a bunch of physicists, physicists, chemists, biologists, and also science writers, including one Pulitzer Prize winning physics writer. And I couldn't believe how negative they were about every technology. Like right. genomics or CRISPR, they were saying, is going to create a virus that's going to kill everybody on the planet. Forgetting the fact that it's already curing tons of diseases that people thought were incurable. And it's, gonna, it's only at the beginning. It's only ending one of that. Or uh, AI. Oh, this is the, these are physicists talking. AI, they're, they're going to eventually hand over the ability to launch nuclear weapons to AI and it's going to kill all of us because the AI is going to be self-aware and have emotions. Oh, that was another comment. Someone said that it's pretty clear AI is going to be self-aware. No, it's not pretty clear. It's just, when you boil it all down, it's just a bunch of statistics and really big computers crunched for a year and a half on a bunch of data and produced statistics. And that's what right. ChatGPT is. I'm summarizing that whole episode we did the other day in three lines. It's much more complicated than that. But why did all scientists, almost all scientists, so negative? I don't know. And I said that, like, they were really critical of space tourism. You know, you could pay to go on Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic, for instance. And they say, oh, it's just a bunch of billionaires virtue signaling how much money they have. And I'm like, you know, 
I grew up on, like the TV show Star Trek is a show about space tourism, right? They're not allowed to, they're exploring the final frontier and they're not allowed to change anything, right? They're just tourists. So we all grew up loving this show and movies that were basically about a bunch of space tourists. Like Spock was a space tourist. And everybody should just relax because all of that sets the stage for mining minerals on the moon, for instance. Like we're, you know, the earth could run out of rare earth minerals. They're rare for a reason, but the moon, they're not rare. And this, you know, powers our electric grid. Uh, so like and then this one woman who is a, a physics professor uh, at a very prestigious institution, she, she says to me, cause I was at the end of the dinner, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So I finally said something. And then she says to me, well, what about all our knowledge? Aren't you worried that all our knowledge is now being stored in digital form and it could just with a switch could all disappear. And I'm like, A, it's all, everything is backed up a billion places. And B, the library of Alexandria in like, what was it? 300 AD or BC, I don't know. It all burned down. That was all the knowledge of Western civilization up to that point. Like paper could disappear, but it's much harder for digital to disappear. Oh, Oh, but what if all electricity goes away? That's not going to happen. If all of electricity goes away, I'm not going to be worried about civilization's knowledge at that point. <laughs> like, oh, I have other things to worry about. Also, like, if all electricity go away, I'm sure all the books and library at some point is going to erode. And then, you know, there's no more knowledge passed down. Even though if they carved it into a wall, no one knows what they're talking about. And it's still going to, you know, the knowledge is going to exist. By the way, it is the theme of quite a few science fiction novels where far in the future, and in, in fact, one series that was recently very popular, I won't give any yes. spoilers, but uh, it is the theme that you, that in the future, after an apocalypse, we could lose all knowledge. But just think of the order of that. First comes apocalypse, then we lose knowledge. So yeah. we have other things to worry about if no one's going to flip a switch and destroy all knowledge. It's And by the way, it's all backed up. So presumably a future civilization, if they get technologically savvy, can restore the backup. That's like, right. like just like we figured out how to read hieroglyphics, somebody will be able to restore our backups. It's probably easier to restore a backup than trying to figure out how to read a yeah. whatever. Totally, know? because you had to decode the whole thing. Like you, we didn't know for, for a thousand years, we didn't know how, or 2000 years, we didn't know how to decode hieroglyphics. We had to figure out the code, literally. Uh, we had to debug it. So, but anyway... The point I'm trying to make is going to segue into this podcast, which is there's a solution to all of this angst and worry and anxiety, pessimism and cynicism. It's, it, you know, stop thinking about other people, which is hard in our society because of social media. Other people are like, you wake up in the morning and you just start doom scrolling on Twitter or, you know, threads or Instagram, whatever it is. Everybody's so, and I'm like this, everybody's so concerned with what is everyone else doing? I'm just lying in bed, scrolling like on Twitter, but what is everyone else doing? They're all doing something while I'm lying in bed and they're all have a, and I, maybe I can have an opinion on something. So I better scroll and play. Here's a solution. And this has really helped me throughout my entire life. It got, it has helped me when I've been broke after having money. It has helped me come back from being broke and, 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 you know, make money again. It has helped me when I've been depressed about things not going well with career 
or whatever. This is since I was a kid practically. And I'm going to simplify it and explain. Go on a quest. And I'll describe what I mean in a second, but I've done this my entire life. And I'll give you an example. This is a personal example, but I will give it anyway. One time, this was like 19, this was, this was like early 1996 or no, late 1995. I was, I had this girl I was dating and she was really smart, but I don't know. She was an angry person. We weren't quite clicking and, but we were dating. And one time I stay over and, she, you know, this is just too much information, but I couldn't really, you know, I was a young guy, 1995, but I wasn't really that attracted to her. So things didn't happen. And she's like, "Ugh, you disgust me. And she threw me out of her apartment and it's three in the morning and in the East village in New York city. And I walk on like a Tuesday night and I walk outside and the streets are packed. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got to wake up in a few hours to go to work. Like, and I wasn't making any money. My salary at the time was not enough to live in New York city. Uh, I had to make my way all the way back to wherever I lived. And, uh, it was, what are, what are all these people doing? How can they afford? A, how can they afford to do this? Don't they have to work in the morning or don't they have to go to school in the morning? Everybody was just out having, it was like one giant party on a Tuesday night at three in the morning. So I went on a quest and it changed my life. It literally made me millions of dollars, which I then proceeded to lose afterwards. But the quest was, I want to find out what I, I'm an early, I go to bed early. I want to find, I did all my life. I want to find out what people are doing, why are people up at three in the morning on a Tuesday night? I just wanted to know. I had no idea. I didn't have any even guesses what all the, why the streets were packed at three in the morning on a Tuesday night. I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides. 
like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class, so I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like, if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What makes you at that point, what feeling do you have when you're like, okay, now I'm on the quest. Now I want to do a quest. Well, I was insanely curious and mm. I was kind of even a little bit jealous. Like I had this nine to five cubicle life and yeah, I had a fun job. I worked at HBO, which is a fun place. I admired the company, but I had this cubicle life. I had cubicle problems like, oh, the person in the cubicle next to me was talking too loud or if my boss was upset at me, you know, I was, I lived and breathed on what other people thought about me. And of course, now my girlfriend at the time hated me or was disgusted with me, I should say. I don't know if she quite hated me, but definitely was disgusted. Let me just say, by the way, she, she, I really like this person, but she was the type of person literally would be walking in the street and like homeless people would just go up to her and spit in her face. Like she was Wait, just not a likable person. She just exuded unlikability. She was like, her face was twisted in anger all the time. Why? Okay, so she has what we call a resting bitch face then. Yes, I suppose you would call that, but men could have that too. I just want to add. So, but 
she she really had it because she she was also super smart. So she she it was she had like her thoughts were always angry. And but I but she was so funny because of that 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 I was attracted to her humor and and so on. But anyway, the point is I got insanely curious because I was maybe a little jealous like what is it about these people's lives that allowed them to basically you know have a great time at three in the morning when i was just a nervous wreck all the time and i was had to be asleep at three in the morning if i wanted to go to work the next day and do well at my job i wanted to do well at my job i was afraid of getting fired and then i would have zero money i lived paycheck to paycheck and if i got fired from what i thought was the best thing that ever happened to me i don't know what i would do so how are the, all these i really wanted to understand not only for 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 curiosity because i was curious about them but because i was curious about me like how could i potentially live the sort of life where it doesn't matter if i'm out at 11 in the morning or three in the morning or whatever like these people seem to have a certain freedom that i didn't have and so it became my quest to find out what these people were doing so at the time i was in charge of hbo's website hbo didn't have a website this was 1995. They had just bought HBO.com from HomeboxOffice.com. I mean, they bought it from a company called HBO and Company, but previously there were HomeboxOffice.com. And so they, they bought HBO.com for guess how much? I think you already know anyway. $55,000? $250,000 back in 1995. So, so, so how much would, would it worth right now? Including all the millions? Like with all the… Oh, if you wanted to buy HBO, not, well, no, maybe not anymore because they changed their brand no, 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 name but to like, Max. So let's say so if I don't they know. were to buy HBO, then so if they they if they were call a home box office the whole time, and then tomorrow they're like, I want to buy HBO.com. How much would they pay for they? Probably, probably like five to ten million. Really? Is that yeah. is that is that how much the three letter uh, domain costs right now? First off, it's a three letter domain. They just all three-letter domains are probably at least a million. Oh. And on top of it, it's the brand. Right. One of the most powerful brands in the United States, if not the world. So, so it would be whoever sat on that domain would be very rich. But yes. I don't even know why they were so insightful to buy HBO.com. I mean, I was really pushing the, the web. They didn't, when I first got there, they didn't want to do a website at all. They thought it was just a waste of time. It's something that academics play with and forget this internet stuff. So maybe it was me shaking the tree that get them, got them to buy HBO.com. Do you propose them to buy HBO.com or did they just buy it themselves? I did not, but I did tell, I mean, it was basically the CEO who had decided, uh, who later became the CEO of Time Warner, Jeff Bukas. Uh, really, I think he was a really, as far as measuring the success of a CEO, he was a very brilliant guy and, and did a very good job, not only for HBO, but later on, for Time Warner, particularly when Time Warner was trying to absorb the devastating mistake of buying AOL. He became the CEO after they bought AOL and, and fixed the situation. And of course, recently he retired when um, HBO got bought by, I don't know, some phone company for, not, not HBO, but Time Warner got acquired by some phone company. I forget, Verizon I think or AT&T, I think. AT&T, yeah, for like, I don't know, hundreds of billions. I, I, I don't know the exact number. It must be a time travel. They're like, hey, you have to buy HBO. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they did it. But mm -hmm. the point is, I was in charge of HBO.com at the time. Nobody knew what to do with it. And so 
I went up to Jeff Bucus, and and by the way, it was very inappropriate that I did this. Uh, but again, I first first thing. Well, actually, I'll describe something else. I was on this quest. I needed to find out what was going on at three in the morning, and and it seemed like also I could do it. I could go on this quest with as part of my job. Now, technically, my job, my title was junior programmer analyst in the IT department. So that was my job. But somehow I figured I could figure out a way to make it my job to, to combine my job with this quest, to find out what is going on at three in the morning in a city like New York City. So the first thing I did was I went to Comedy Central. So I went to the Comedy Central IT department. And Comedy Central at that time, just so you know, was half owned by HBO. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So then the, and uh, I think Showtime owned the other half, you know, or Viacom owned the other right. half. So, uh, so I was friends with the head of IT at Comedy Central because I was in IT at HBO. She asked for my help to build, nobody, nobody had intranets then, you know, like an, an internal internet. So I had built one for HBO and I'm visiting Comedy Central and she's asking me to help them build their internal network, their intranet. And I, was, I said, I will do it, but I want one thing. I want the 3 a.m. time slot because you'd run, I said, you run ads at, at 3 a.m. Like they didn't really have any TV shows at 3 a.m. Comedy Central. I, I don't know if they do now. They just ran ads, like infomercials. And I said, I want the 3 a.m. time slot I'm going to just live ask people, what do you do at three in the, what are you doing at three in the morning in New York city? By the way, this would be an enormous TikTok channel now. Like there's that guy who walks around New York city. Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a producer of a podcast. What's the favorite thing you like about your job? Oh, talking to people. That's what's up. You know that guy? I know. Yeah. And also the other guy is like, you go around like, oh, what do you, do? uh, how much is your rent? Can I tour your home? Oh yeah. There's that guy. And there's the same guy does that in Dubai also. And he's always going in like these chic's apartments. Can we get that Das What's Up guy on the podcast? Yeah, I can. I can. I can look it up. Yeah. So anyway, so she said, "Okay, I'll find out if I can do this." So she asked the CEO of Comedy Central, a guy named Doug Herzog at the time. She asked the CEO of, of Comedy Central if I could do this, and he said, "No way." Meanwhile, fast forward a year, a couple of years later, they did a show with Dave Attell called Insomniac about what people do in the middle of the night in New York City. Wait, do you not sue them? No, no, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. But meanwhile, meanwhile, I went up to, at some Christmas party at HBO, I went up to the CEO. So just to put into context, my boss's, 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 boss was the CEO of HBO. Holy shit. So I went over the heads of all my bosses, the six bosses in between. And I went to Jeff Bugis and I said, Hey, just like HBO has this great original TV shows like Sex in the City and you know later on it would be The Sopranos and other shows let's do original web shows let's make web entertainment not and let's make that hbo.com is not just a marketing pamphlet for our shows and he said you know what i don't give a shit <laughs> do whatever you want i don't care and so i went back to my boss and i said i just spoke to Jeff Bucus and he said what and I said, I just spoke to the CEO. And he said, why'd you go above my head? He was very upset. But I said, look, I'm sorry, I'll bring you next time. But he said, I have to do original web shows. He said, well, he really wants original web shows 
for HBO.com. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, here's an idea. And I said, how about I go around the city at three in the morning and ask people what they do? What, what, why do they do it? Uh, what are they doing up at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday night or Wednesday? Saturday night or Friday night, no problem. They, they don't have to work the next day. They're out at a bar, whatever. But why are they out on a Wednesday night? Don't they have to work? Or, or what is it about their lives that allows them to be out at three in the morning? And so finally, everyone agreed for me doing this. And I got a video guy. I got a photographer. I got HBO made me bring a security guy for a while, but eventually I got rid of that guy. I had a production assistant who we have to hey, we had to sign release, get release forms signed by everybody. And I would go out. We would meet at around 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. in the East Village or the Meatpacking District or some of these seedy areas. They're not seedy anymore, but back then they were seedy. Right. This is 1996. Wait, what and is seedy? What, like, um, what do I see? You know, in the Meatpacking District now is like all fancy with clubs. Right, right. Back then it was all prostitutes. Oh, so it was that's a, the term. All pro, it was 100% prostitutes and Johns. And literally, it was called the meatpacking district because there were meat processing plants right, right there. And so there would be like these weird fires of meat burning on the sidewalk. Oh and then there would be these prostitutes walking around and, and the Johns and the pimps and all that stuff. And, I, and the Lower East Side was all like homeless people and, you know, kind of people living in um, – they were like squatting right. in rundown, abandoned apartment buildings or there were underground radio stations or there was – Drug dealers, we, we, um, and, uh, I, I went all over the city at three in the morning because I did this. So I ended up doing this from 1996 to mid 1998. Oh, what, two and a half years? Yeah, it was the best experience. Like every Wednesday night, go out, and from 2 a.m. till about 4 30 a.m., I would just go up to people and I'll say, Hey, why, what are you doing? What are you up to? What are you up to at three in the morning? And, invariably nobody was up to anything good. <laughs> like I would just talk to random people and almost every single, almost every single Wednesday I talked to at least just by coincidence, like at least one dominatrix, like who's like a prostitute that, uh, for, that satisfies a particular fetish of men wanting to be beaten up or whatever. Right. Uh, I would talk, I would certainly run into like drug dealers or pimps or, or their customers, um, talk to homeless people, talk to people, you know, cheating on their spouses. Uh, I would sometimes, after a while, I lived in the Chelsea hotel, which is a, you could Google it. It was a, a weird sort of place. Sometimes I would just sit in the lobby there and wait for people to come in and say, why are you out at three in the morning? And nobody was, was up to anything good. And most people would lie to me. But, and it was just crazy. I ran into like one person I knew and I'm like, oh, what are you doing out here? And I knew him, uh, his name was Luke. And he, and he wouldn't say, but it was pretty clear there was an older man next to him. It was like, he was a male prostitute and I didn't know that about him. But so you just, I would, and then I started running into the same people over and over. There were a kind of, there was a kind of person who only was out in the middle of the night uh, and they would never be out during the day. So there was a whole different, culture and subcultures at three in the morning. It was like the opposite of what happens during the day. There was nobody in suits going to work. It was all just these random people living this, this, these alternative lifestyles. Some of them were very happy. Some of them weren't so happy. I did one time, 
I, I did the bus stop that go, there's one bus stop where there's a bus 24 hours a day that takes people to Rikers Island, which is a jail. It's an Island right outside of Queens. That is a jail. And you, the law is if you're bailed out, no matter what time it is, you could get bailed out and picked up and you people would take this bus back and forth. Like their parents or their siblings or their friends would take the bus to bail them out. And then they would come back on the bus and at the bus stop, uh, would be all of their, you know, the, the pimps and the prostitutes and the drug dealers, because it was their customers coming back from Rikers Island. And we spent like a month just gather, you know, interviewing everybody, gathering information. And that was actually, we turned that into a, kind of a pilot of a TV show and it was really just beautiful. Wait, what is it called? What is the TV show called? 3AM. The whole project was oh, called 3AM. Oh, oh, right, okay. No, I, was, yeah. I thought the pilot was for another show. No, no, no. It was, we, we, you know, we shot, we got, we had a budget because eventually what happened was, is that Sheila Evans, who's right. been on this podcast, yeah. she, um, wanted to, she wanted to replace the show Real Sex, which was a very popular show on HBO. And she, and she thought maybe 3am would be a replacement. And we did that segment and she loved it. She paid for, for me to have a producer, a real producer, a real cameraman. And she loved it. Uh, but then we, we did a segment that wasn't as good. She didn't love it. And I left HBO to start a business. But, you know, the whole point is, is that me going on this quest led to such an exciting experience in, in my life. And also it led to other companies approaching me and saying, hey, can you do something really creative for us? Like American Express came to me. Con Edison came to me. Every record label came to me. Other movie studios came to me. So I was able to start a company, my first company, Reset. I left HBO ultimately and started a company making websites mostly for entertainment companies. But we also did AmericanExpress.com, ConEdison.com. I had never had any money in my life. And suddenly I had this business because of this quest that I went on to find out, simply to find out what people are up to at three in the morning. Like I wanted to know for me, I didn't want to, I wasn't judging anybody. I didn't have any opinions. And I think that's why people spoke to me is because I just was really innocently curious. I mean, I would interrupt couples while, while they were arguing. Like, what are you guys arguing about? Oh, I found some girl's phone number in his pocket. And he, the guy's like, I don't even know who that is. And you know, some BS. <laughs> is there any, uh, any good story come up from it? Like the, like, like you said, like, you know, like three and everyone up to no good. Any good story that you, you like heartfelt story, uh, from that? Oh yeah. Many, many. I mean, there were people who were just, you know, mentally ill and struggling to survive and they couldn't get jobs in, in the day and they lived on, you know, welfare and they were addicted to heroin and, and this was their culture. Their subculture was being out at, at three in the morning. And I, I got to know a lot of these people, but I'll tell you one story. That was cr a crazy story. Interrupt me if I've told this on the podcast before, but at 4am we would stop for the day and we'd go to the empire diner for just to kind of finish off the day, finish off the evening. And it's four in the morning. Empire diner was on uh, 11th Avenue and 22nd street. And the waitress always knew who we were and she always helped us out. She said, oh, check out this table at the, at the other end there. And so they were, it looked like a bunch of guys and girls celebrating. And I went over to them and I'm like, what are you guys celebrating about? And this one guy with a British accent, he says, well, this lovely lady and I just got engaged. And I'm just, you know, I, we had the cameras on. My video guy always had his camera on. And I'm like, oh, 
I don't believe it. Prove it. Kiss each other. And so he grabs the girl and they start like making out. And I only found out later, like, you know, after we had been talking for like 20 minutes after that, they did not know each other at all. They were like, they had just, they hadn't even spoken ever and they had just met. And that was the first time they ever said anything to each other was they just started making out. And then about a year later, I ran into somebody who was sitting at that table and said, hey, you're the guy, you're that 3 a.m. guy. And he said, I was at the Empire Diner that one time and you got my friend kissing that girl. He was actually engaged to another girl in England. He broke up with that girl and the girl who he kissed moved with him to England and they were living together, dating for a while, and then they just broke up. And he said, but that was all because you got them to kiss. You like either helped their lives or ruined their lives forever. Yeah, well, because for all you know, he could be in a very happy engagement that because of you, he he kissed another girl, ended up breaking up that happy engagement. Well, it, let's put it this way. <laughs> it couldn't have been that happy an engagement if, if with one second notice, he's willing to make out with another girl. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So chances are that marriage would not have worked out. So I pro at the very least, I helped the girl he had previously been engaged to. <laughs> yes. She should write to you and thank you. If she's listening to the podcast. If she's listening, I'm the reason your fiance kissed that random girl who, oddly, I remember one detail. I can't remember what she looked like. I remember she worked at Microsoft. Like, I do remember that. <laughs> she was like a sales rep at Microsoft. And um, uh, so, so there were, but I had lots of stories like that. It was like, I was like the first podcaster on the internet. I was basically interviewing people and then putting the interviews on the World Wide Web, just like we do with this podcast. Now, I wouldn't put the audio because there wasn't bandwidth. Right. But I would put photos. And then here's what I did. I didn't have designers to design everything. And if you look at 1990s web design, it was a little overdone. There was too much design. Mm -hmm. Now things are much more minimal and simple, which I like better. But I would basically open it up to the web design community like, and allow designers to compete with each other to design the pages that each interview was on. So each interview, I would do four interviews a week and each interview uh, was designed differently. And then we'd put photos, and every once in a while, we'd put video, but it was hard to, there was no streaming of the video. It was hard to download the video. Do you accidentally create a 99design? You know 99design.com, right? They put a request out and then they have people compete to design for a website or a cover. Right. That's what I did, basically. So you accidentally created a 99design. Right. I, I wish I had any business sense at all because it would have really worked out for it. Like I had, I did so many things in the nineties that could have made me a lot of money, but I knew nothing about business. Like that's a whole, another topic is it's not just about creating a great product and, and, and making a profitable business. You really have to know what business means in order to make money. You can't just sell things and make money. Right. You have to, you have to know what are the different types of businesses, how people value businesses, how to structure a business, how to scale a business. Like there's all these subtleties that I had no clue about how to describe your business so that it is worth more than if you describe it a different way. And, but anyway, that's another topic. Yep. Um, but I'm just describing this as this gave my life. Like I was really depressed at HBO actually at first because I was working in this cubicle. I was working on this stuff, this programming that was really awful. And 
I, I didn't even know how to program. Like I had gotten an undergrad for computer science and grad school for computer science. And I was such a bad programmer after all this quote unquote education, they had to send me to remedial classes on programming. And I was just, I thought I was going to get fired. And just going on this quest not only made me so much happier at work, and it also made me kind of known within the company. Like I was this 3 a.m. guy. So I was starting to get promoted. I was getting other offers and using that to get higher and higher salary. But then it even led to me starting a business. Like it changed my life. And it gave me this whole, I, I must have interviewed thousands of people. You know, for two and a half years, I would interview about 20 people a week or 15 to 20 people a week, and then put four interview, the best four up every week. And so, I don't know, I must've interviewed at least like a thousand people. So I got my interview skills and I learned so much about other people uh, and, and about and about also making a great website. So it gave me this, this going on a quest allowed me to not focus on my own problems, but actually I felt this pleasure of like, you know, it was difficult too, because I was shy. How do you just go up to people in the middle of the night and say, hey, tell me what you're doing. So it helped me overcome shyness. It helped me get people talking. It helped me, you know, it gave me a lot of skills. And then it gave me, you know, things to look forward to and 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 a different perspective on life. So it changed my life completely. Go, just being curious and then going on a quest. And and you know, another quest was like when I did stand-up comedy. Like I was just curious. Like I always was curious. Like how do these people make people laugh from stage? Like I'm funny at a party or whatever, but then making people strangers laugh from a stage, that's that's hard. How do people do it? So that was a seven-year quest that led to me buying part of a comedy club and going up on stage, you know, almost seven days a week and traveling around the world. I mean, I went to, you know, I traveled with Tony Woods, one of the greatest comedians ever. He was just on Joe Rogan. Travel with Tony Woods all over the world uh, doing comedy. And that was a quest. Or, or, you know, more recently, you know, F, you know, you know, I was having kind of a down period after that New York City article came out and I went on a quest again, which was to take just back off from social media where I was getting death threats every half second and take this childhood love of mine, which was, you know, I was a chess master when I was much younger, still am because the title's forever, but I wanted to get back to my old skills in chess and this quest has been amazing. Like I've gone to Norway and had dinner with the world chess champion. I've, I've, I've traveled all over the place playing chess. I'm the Georgia senior chess champion about to compete in the U S senior championship. And, uh, all these friends from 25 years ago, I, I'm meeting them and I don't know, it's, the quest is still ongoing, but it's been, it's been a life changing experience. Also understanding the effects of aging on my brain and how to fix those you know, things that are happening and, and be a better person for it. Like this whole experience, the quest is again, still ongoing, but it's made me eat better, exercise better, sleep better, deal with loss better, deal with social media better, uh, sharpen my brain sharp. I've taken lessons from the world memory champion. So this has been a quest that's been life-changing.
From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I wanted to talk about like what is a quest like like when you think of a quest, what do you think of Jay? Well, it's funny. It's like I was about to ask you what's the difference between quests and purposes and missions, right? So for me, I felt like you know quest. It's someone that gives you the quest. So let's say if you are if you're in a story, let's say your whole life is a story. The quest is some all of a sudden the world is ending, and then a uh, old bearded Kung Fu master just show up in front of you and be like, "Hey, you have the potential. Here's your quest to save the world." Well, you still have to remember. You still have to choose to go on the quest. Yes. Like Luke Skywalker didn't want to leave uh, Tatooine at first. He had to. He, even after Obi Wan Kenobi told him everything, he's like, "I gotta wait one more season because I promised my uncle." Right. And it was only the uncle getting killed by stormtroopers that Luke finally went on his quest, which was to learn about the Force and save Princess Leia and destroy the Death Star and on and on. He, he, he did not want to do it at first. Right. You have to choose to go on the quest. Your curiosity has to be... And here's the difference between a quest and a mission. A mission, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to... I'm going to... You know, save all... I'm going to spread malaria nets, mosquito nets to all the people in Africa. That's my mission. And I'm going to do it and save Africa from malaria. That's my mission. Or I'm going to teach people about leadership. So I'm going to write a book about everything I've learned about leadership, and that's my mission. A, a mission is almost kind of arrogant. Like the, the idea that you know you can do something and you're, you're, God put you down on this earth to do this purpose or mission. I don't really believe in those. A quest is you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Luke Skywalker wanted to save the princess, he didn't know if he believed in the Force, but he was ready for adventure, excitement. He had nothing left on Tatooine. He was ready to go on his quest. A quest is more like a nonfiction arc of the hero, almost. Whereas a mission is like an arrogant, like, oh, this is my purpose. I have a purpose that the, the, the overlords implanted in me, and that, this is what my DNA is forcing me to do. Would you say mission has an end goal that you got to achieve or has an end goal target that you can see? Whereas quest is more like, the, it's more about the journey. It's more about, let's do this. And it's see about both. But, because look, a famous quest in fictional history is the Knights of the Round Table for King Arthur. They had to find something called the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. And they never actually found the Holy Grail. They never found it. So the quest didn't work. It, or it did work because all of the stories and adventures around King Arthur are because of this quest. So, so yes, the journey is really important. And, you know, I've been thinking, like, what are the components of that journey? First off, 
The quest is for you. There's something personal you have to find out about yourself when you go on this quest. Like again, Luke Skywalker, he had to discover the force within himself. Or me with this chess thing, I had to figure out, you know, what I had to realize I'm no longer as good as I was when I was younger. And I had and and there's some things I can't get good at anymore. Like my memory is different or my calculation ability is different or my ability to stay up all night and then play well the next day. That ability is gone. So I have to figure out things about myself, you know, as part of this journey. And then, and then, and so there's all these challenges. There's like a mission doesn't necessarily have challenges. I have challenges. Like my first tournament back, I lost something like seven out of eight games. And these are obstacles. These are real obstacles. And then I have to find, like in the arc of the hero, I have to find allies, people to help me. So I had to find coaches and I had to find people who are my level to, to, to exchange ideas and notes. I had to find people who were going through the same thing. I was like older people, maybe who were trying to, to play. And they, and most people told me I was delusional. So, you know, along with these obstacles and these allies, there's also villains and, and people who are antagonistic to me. They're trying to stop me from doing my quest. And so then you go on the journey and the journey has trials like, oh, I'm going to play in this tournament. Oh, I lost this tournament. And then I lost this other one. And then, oh, I've got to somehow get to Norway to, to have dinner with the world chess champion and, and on and on. There's, there's a journey and adventures happen. And then you transform. Hopefully you transform and you have growth. Like, so that, oh, I realize I need to sleep better or I need to eat a little better, never drink alcohol. And instead of wasting time on social media, I'll study some more positions to, to get ready for the next tournament. And so I grow and transform and I sacrifice. So I sacrifice social media or sometimes you have to sacrifice things that are important to you. Like, oh, I haven't been writing as much, or I might not, you know, spend as much time with this person so I can spend time doing this. And ultimately you, you hopefully achieve the goal of the quest and then you return to tell the tale. But that all together is, is a quest. And I encourage people, don't just live that cubicle life. Don't just be, or even if you're not living the cubicle life, let's say you're just, let's say you don't have a job, but you're, and you're feeling down or depressed, or let's say your relationships aren't quite working for you at the moment. Find what is it you're insanely curious about, or what is it that you were curious about when you were younger? And test the waters, begin this quest. What do I need to do? What does this journey look like for me to achieve a certain goal? Maybe you want to write your first novel. Maybe you want to go to a yoga retreat in India and become a yoga teacher. Maybe you want to start your first business. You know, what are the, what are the, what do you think? You're going to be wrong by the way, but what do you think are the steps you need to take and take that first step? I find a lot of people, they, they want to write that first novel and they go out at night with their friends every night and eat dinner and drink and have fun. And they're always saying, I'm going to write that novel this year. I'm going to write it, but they never do it. Like figure out what is the first step? What's the second step? Take those steps. Assume there's going to be obstacles along the way because you're not, the whole reason you're not at the goal is because you don't, you never did it. You're not, you don't know what to do. You don't know the things that are in between starting the quest and ending the quest. 
Luke Skywalker didn't know he'd have to learn the Force. He didn't know he'd have to save the princess um, in the Death Star, in the most lethal weapon ever created. And assume some people, find the people who will help you, like the Han Solos and Obi-Wan Kenobis, or in my case, chess coaches, chess allies, you know, the the the, the really gracious people who have allowed me to to write for them at at, at Newen Chess and, and other places. And these are your helpers and allies. There's gonna be villains, the people who tell me I'm delusional, or the people who, you know, make fun of me, whatever. Uh, or it could even be people who you know very well who are very skeptical. Uh, and now you begin the journey and have those trials and see the growth and make the sacrifices and you change as a person. It could be as, the quest sounds, it doesn't even matter what the quest is. It could be as dumb as trying to get better at chess or it could be, I wanna make a billion dollars. Although I will tell you, whenever I've had, whenever I thought I was on a quest to make money was probably the most unhappy time of my life because- I mean, I'm just curious. Like, like you know, like just find quests and stuff like that. But like, how do you know you found the right quest? Like my quest is I want to win a Grammy. I'm like, okay. And then I was working in a studio and then now I'm in podcasting. I'm like, am I still on track to win a Grammy? You know what I mean? Well, this is a great question, Jay. And the truth is you don't really know. You, nobody, nobody's going to come down and tell you, oh, Jay, you have found the right quest for yourself. You have, you know, just that's why it's so, that's why it's so much BS where people are like, oh, this is my purpose. This is my mission. You just don't know. And you don't, and by the way, you might halfway through the quest, it might be so frustrating. The challenges might be so great. You give up and that's okay too. Again, this is where the journey is very important. It's not the only thing that's important. I don't believe when people say it's not the goal, it's the journey. It's both. The journey is, the goal is very important, but the journey is just as important. And so if you feel like quitting a, a quest and starting a new one, then do it. But uh, if you truly, let's say you have a, like for me, if I have a horrible tournament, I think to myself, oh, that's it. I quit. I'm just, this is too painful. I'm not getting there. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and so on. But then the next day, if you wake up and you find yourself, huh, what's the next step? Like, it's because you love this quest so much. Uh, it's not even like I have fun that sometimes playing in these tournaments, particularly when I'm losing. But you love, if I love the quest so much that the next day after I hit one of these obstacles, I'm, I'm still waking up with just as much energy. Or maybe it's not the next day, maybe it's the next week. I'm waking up with just as much energy to, to pursue, keep pursuing the quest. Then you, then you just stick with it. You let, your, you let your body and your emotions tell you to, to stick with it. And you're going to feel like quitting sometimes too. And that's maybe times when you need to take a break because you get overloaded. So are you saying that, so if you feel like you're quitting, you should just take a nap because you are cranky. No, I'm just joking. When you, when you, when you, when you feel like you, you want to quit, you should take a day off, just slip it off and see how you feel the next day. Yeah. Or take a few days off. Sometimes I'll take three or four days off from studying um, or, or, or interacting with people or playing or whatever. And but you know what's been great for me is that it got me off social media. Uh, it, it, it got me to eat better. It got me to improve my memory. It got me to work hard at something again. I had forgotten what it was like to, to really, 
you know, the podcast is hard. The podcast is a lot of work and other things I do are a lot of work, but this is like performing brain surgery on myself every day to get better at chess, particularly at this age. And, uh, but I was, I, I won the Georgia senior championship for people over 50. I'm about to play in the U S senior championship in a few days. And it's been difficult and it's been excruciating sometimes, but it's also been extremely fun and pleasurable. And I've learned so much about myself and it, it, it got me away from just the mire that I was being sucked into from that old article I wrote and from some other things that were happening to me at the time. Like I had a kind of a negative period in like late 2020, early 2021. And I would just wasn't showing up for things. And, and a quest is something you show up for and you're proud of it and you love it and you pursue it. And it's not always fun, but, but it's the pursuit is worth it. And that's, that's really the thing. Now for you, if it's your quest to, to, to win a Grammy, well, what is the next step? But here's the thing. You can experiment with lots of things. Like at the end of 2020, there were lots of things I was experimenting with. Chess was just one of them, but, it, but it, it, there were others too. Like I was, uh, uh, you know, trying to start different, different internet businesses. As you remember, yep. I was, um, uh, uh, I was, I got really into betting on the election in 2020. So oh, I was yeah, really I getting into that. Yeah, I was really getting into. We had the guys from Predicted on. I was really getting into um, event betting. Uh, and you were into presidential too. Yeah, I was. I ran. I started running for president, and I thought I was going to take that really seriously. But I, it ended up being more of a a joke. And this is the thing that survived. You experiment with a bunch of different quests, and this is the thing that survived. So again, what's a quest? quest is the first half of question. So it starts with you being really insanely curious about something where you really don't know the answer. And then what would it take for you to know that answer? What is the goal? What is, how would you know, you know, the answer? Well, for me, if I reach a certain level, I think that will be the objective of this quest. We'll see. And then just prepare what challenges and obstacles might you experience? Well, you're not going to know all of them, but start going down the path and start having challenges. And then you find your allies to help you through these challenges. And then you find the people who are going to dissuade you or be against you on this quest. And you're going to be on the journey and have your, your trials and adventures. And then through this process, you're going to transform, grow, sacrifice, and hopefully get fully to the other side of the quest or not. It's enough to just simply have the experience, but hopefully you achieve the objective of your quest. Yeah. You know, you always say like, who are you, why are you, and why now? Do you think those three questions would be able to apply to the quest? Yeah. Like for instance, who am I? I'm someone who's always loved games and and loved the challenges of of, of competitive games. Games like, like a chess or, you know, other games that fall under that category might be poker or Scrabble or checkers or backgammon. So I've always loved those I'm always a game player. Even day trading has kind of like a game. Right. So why am I? I'm someone who at the time, at particular in like late 2020, early 2021 or mid 2021, I was kind of depressed for a lot of reasons. Not hugely depressed, but you know, I was getting a lot of backlash from that article still, like even a year later. Uh, I was had two books that came out and they didn't get they were good books. Skip the Line was my favorite book I've ever written, but it didn't quite get the reception I would have liked. Uh, 
I was having, you know, I, I had moved. I was having some trouble making new friends. And, and I was worried about, you know, am I getting too old to t- pursue the things I love doing? And the why, that solved the why now, which is like, okay, I'm in my 50s. And now if I'm going to do this, now's the time to do it, to get back to my old level. And particularly after the TV show, The Queen's Gambit came out, it, it reminded me of my love for the game. And I, I started pursuing it. So that was the why now. So who are you? Why are you and why now are critical questions for this. And also the plus minus equals technique that I described in Skip the Line. You know, you have an objective, find a coach, that's your plus. Find people you can teach, that's your minus, because you don't truly understand something unless you could explain it simply. And find your equals. People who are on the same quest as you so you can exchange notes and learn from each other. Mm, that's great. I think, I think that's, I feel like that should be the next book you write. Um, maybe I already wrote it though. We skipped the line, but we'll see. But I am, you know, Robert Greene went on the podcast when we had Robert yep. Greene, author of Mastery and Forty Eight Laws of Power. He said, "Oh my God, you have to write the book on this." And that kind of also kicked me off on the quest. Was his encouragement? You were listening, and so you do need some sort of validations halfway through. Yeah, you definitely need validation somehow. Like I, if I only, if I only lost, I would not be pursuing it at this point. Like that would be too hard. But I've had, I've got trophies in the room along the way. So, you know, that's been good. But I also have to say, a quest can also ruin your life too. How so? Like every quest I've had has completely 100% changed my life. So this 3 a.m. thing, I ended up leaving corporate America and starting a business. Mm -hmm. This chess thing, you know, I haven't been writing as much. It's distanced me from certain friends or family, you know, or work. I, you know, I could have been starting a business instead of playing a board game, you know, the past year or so. So it's really, it messes you up a little bit too. And it, it screws up your life in a big way, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But transform is not always a positive thing. You're going to transform. Some of it's going to be negative. Hopefully more of it will be positive. So I think we should title this episode actually, you know, how to screw up your life with a quest. How to ruin your life with a quest. How to ruin your life with a quest. So, because maybe I will ruin my life with this, but we'll see. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.